Welcome to Africa Stories in the 55, RFI's African Literature Podcast. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. When people think of refugees today, many think of the sheer numbers of people in refugee camps, or perhaps the strain on resources in that country. This month's African literature selection, Silences My Mother Tongue by Suleiman Edonia, an Eritrean-Ethiopian writer, turns that idea on its head. In the book, Saba, a young Eritrean refugee determined to go to school, arrives in a camp in Sudan with her brother and mother. Within the confines of the camp, she explores her options and her sexuality. I had the opportunity to speak to Suleiman about his novel, Silence is My Mother Tongue, and he tells us what the book is all about. I actually find this question one of the most difficult questions to answer because it took me 10 years to write this book. And what this novel is about, it keeps changing all the time. To me, it's about a language. It's about people who find themselves away from home. But it's also about love, I guess, sexuality, gender in terms of what is to be a man, what is it to be a woman. Those are the kind of things that really interest me, especially in the context of our own society back home in Africa. It's about people on the move, people who've been forced to flee, and people who've suddenly found themselves in a remote place like a refugee camp. And one of the things that I was really interested to explore was this idea of whether being away from home will give these people an, an opportunity to kind of find their own idea, idea of what a society should and could be about, away from home, away from the rules, away from traditions that have been entrenched as deep as, as, as a homeland. I've just put all those characters together in a remote refugee camp and for me, it, it was just a great opportunity to see how people function, what, you know, in a place like that. And I, I guess it's also trying to, 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 uh, to explore this idea whether when people flee and they leave, do they also take with them habits, their habits, or do they leave those habits behind, you know, along with their, well, you know, with their friends, with their work, jobs, schools. The main character, and there's a number of major characters, but the main character is Saba, who's a young girl who has fled to a camp in Sudan from Eritrea. So, and with her is her hearing and speaking impaired brother Hagos and her mom. So she's in this refugee camp, which you really depict quite realistically, but the book is really about her and her feelings and her desires and she's a budding beauty everyone notices her and but she's also exploring her sexuality absolutely i mean yeah sabah for me was just a fascinating character to work with at the beginning i found it very difficult to relate to her and i just didn't understand why then i thought maybe it's because she was a woman as a male you know writing about a woman but i think it was deeper than that i think she was just an extremely challenging character because she was taking me to places I have not been as a writer in terms of her sexuality, in terms of how she was ready to explore not only her sexuality, but, you know, test her ideas, challenge tradition, challenge the society. She was trying to find herself, seeking her independence. She always was on the lookout for new ideas, new possibilities, new meanings. And so every day coming back to her, it was just a challenge because I didn't know what kind of Saba I was going to meet. 
And, and she's not a poor girl stuck in a refugee camp scenario. This is not something like you pity her. This is a, a young woman who's striving for better against all obstacles. Even before the first page, when you dedicated this to the girls, this is a quote, my playmates in our refugee camp, we had no toys, but only our imagination to play with. Our playfulness was our painkiller in that place of scarcity. I thought of you and the childhood friends we saw buried whenever I came close to giving up. This book is for you. Which is so touching. Uh, I still remember those days. And those are the kind of scenes and scenarios in, in my real life in a camp that have actually been the fuel behind writing this book. Those are my memories, my childhood memories, and I never ever forget. When we come to write about refugee camps, there's a lot of distance, but for me it's because not only I lived it, but I lived it as a child. And I think my relationship to those characters have been enhanced by those kind of experiences I have encountered as a child myself. As a boy playing with girls, it was ultimately a completely different feeling to playing with boys. And for me, I'm so lucky I had those, those girl friends because... Through them, I have really come to understand what imagination is all about. You know, it wasn't just playing football, running around. It was just sitting and thinking about the games that we were going to play, you know. It was, a, it was like a script. It was, it was like formulating plays and ideas and scenes. There was a kind of maturity, to it, but ultimately it was playfulness, you know. And ultimately my book is also it's about being playful. It's about being daring, you know, to go to kind of to those places, to those small matters in our day-to-day lives and that's that's why I, I love those girls and I still remember them. The book is very interesting because it actually opens on this trial of Saba yes. and she's accused of having sex with her brother, uh, Hagos. Now, the irony of this is that the narrator makes a list almost of misdeeds of various people in the camp who have actually gone against society. I mean, pedophilia, rape, murder, and the issues that the people are really concentrating on. This is not the only instance of a trial in the camp as the story unfolds, as you write. The issues that people concentrate on seem to be largely perceived rather than the actuality of crimes that are committed underneath people's noses within the camp. And there's this great juxtaposition between what's perceived and what's the reality? It's because Eritrea, for example, it's been it's a country that has been colonized many times by the Turks, by the, the Egyptians, then the Italian, the Brits, and then the Ethiopian. The focus has always been on the others, you know, what the others have done to us kind of thing, you know. And what happens when you focus on the others is that you really forget the crimes that you commit yourself against your own people. And, and so for me, setting this story in a remote camp, it allowed me to explore us without the history behind us. You know, even the world that have caused them to flee is not explored as much as their situation in the camp. So I just wanted to focus on that. This is about us. We need to take accountability and responsibility for the world that we commit, especially against women. It wasn't so much a love letter back to my time in a camp. It was just a sober sitting and thinking about those moments and going through it and saying, okay, sure, we can study colonial, what happened with, you know, with colonialism and everything, but it's really important also if we are going to move forward study as our contribution to the, to, the, to the situation that we find ourselves in today. But the other thing is also, you know, when you live in a, in a place like a camp and you are left to fend for yourself, 
what happens is that solidarity becomes, you know, a good and bad thing. It's good because it allows you to survive, but it's also it can be also bad because it allows people to overlook those kind of misdemeanors that people commit against each other. And then once again, somehow, if there are crimes committed by women or seem to be committed by women, then they just are extremely highlighted. And these are obviously, we know the reasons why, but it's something that really interested me. I mean, you really get a glimpse of this battle against women and how women are treated, especially about, we won't say who, but um, about the issue of, um, you know, bleeding on your wedding night, which is not just an Eritrean thing or a refugee thing or an African thing. This is a European thing. This is a world thing. This is something that women traditionally have, have been required to do to prove their virginity. And there's one small character, but she's so sage. That's Azieb, and she's the bar owner, and she's the one who says... It shows how much violence there is against women if even love has to be equated with drawing blood from a woman. I love that character. Like you said, she was small, but she was very prominent in, in the way she stood out for me. And also, like, in the way, you know, she tried to exist at night, for example. I love night. There's something loud about night. I, I feel like you have to to be in a different mentality, different zone to try to actually think to yourself, okay, not only am I going to stay awake at night, but I'm going to own night. I'm going to make night my day. And now we cannot um, end the interview without talking about Hagos, who is quite important, yeah. but totally silent in this book, as as we said that he's hearing and um, speaking impaired. We don't actually get any words from him, with the exception of one paragraph where he writes in English that his sister Saba had just taught him. He's a very important character, even though he's silent. Can you give us sort of a little bit of insight without giving things away uh, for our listeners about his importance? For me, I think he was as important as Saba. And I think both of them are extremely important in the sense that, for one, both of them, they're so similar to me. They're so alike in the way they think, in the way they feel, in the way they are, that at some point I was thinking, I'm working with one, but the other, the one is just a copy of the other, a negative of the other, if you see what I mean. Hagos highlights this idea that language it's spoken in many forms and shapes. I, myself, for example, as a child, I was very silent. My father was murdered when I was two, and then my mother left when I was three. And then suddenly, it was almost like she took away my mother's tongue when she left. Uh, and so I was very silent for a while. I couldn't talk. But my grandmother, who brought me up, and she understood that silence was a language in a way. And yet again, I existed without having to talk for a while. And I think I showed my existence through other alternative means to words. And that's the significance for me, Hagos, is that his presence is really felt in the book without him saying much. He dares celebrating his sexuality, his femininity. He doesn't hide it. It's there for everybody to see that this is a man with a woman inside him. For people who would just pause and take a look at him, they will actually see he celebrates those two gender residing inside him through the way he takes care of his body, for example, through the ways in which he wants to make his love, he wants to explore his ideas. Yes, he is silent, but he's very present, and his presence is felt through this powerful idea of him celebrating the way he is and in a refugee camp. Here's Suleiman Adonia reading from Silence is My Mother Tongue.
We have arrived, Tahoe, the lorry driver said, fixing his turban. Saba, this is your camp. Saba held her nose. Dung, dung everywhere. Tahoe turned off the engine. The silence made the place feel more remote and deserted than she'd ever imagined. She looked up. There were no fighter planes, only a half moon that hung in the sky like the gold crescent ring her grandmother wore in her nose. Saba examined the hat in front, which was illuminated by the lorry's light. Her mother mumbled prayers and cried. Saba couldn't remember the last time she had seen her mother smiling or heard her laugh. Tahir climbed down from the cabin and limped to the front of his lorry. Saba stepped out into the darkness. They were the first in the camp, she thought. There was no one else, not even an official to receive them. Saba wanted to ask Tahir about this when a flash of light from behind distracted her. She looked at the back of the lorry where Haggard sat on juice sacks. His torch lit up a round hand mirror which he was peering into, studying his face from every angle. When Saba had wanted to pack her books, her mother refused. The smugglers demanded money for every extra bag. While she managed to wear clothes in many layers, including underwear, she couldn't do the same with the books. So she stayed up days and nights before their departure, memorizing her favorite passages from the books she would leave behind. And yet Haggis had brought that fragile thing the smuggler warned refugees against taking before they embarked on the common journey. Even people break on the road to safety, said the smugglers, let alone mirrors. Haggis climbed down from the lorry into Saba's embrace. The scent of jasmine on his skin rose between them as she held him tight. What are you working on now? What is your next project? Last year, I set up a creative writing academy to teach writing to refugees and asylum seekers. And uh, it's been going really well. We've had already two master classes. And it's something that is really close to my heart because when I came to the UK, for example, I couldn't speak a word of English. I came young and, you know, it was extremely difficult to get to know people. So I was about 15. I was underage when I came without family, only my brother who was 17 at the time. And, you know, there's so much emotion you go through when you come to a different country with different culture, different language. And I, looking back, I just wish, I hope, like I had the chance to sit somewhere and express myself through words. And so this is the idea that came to me, like how I can provide a, a, a space, a safe space for refugees and newcomers to just come together and we give them that space to express themselves. And we also teach them writing, you know, how they could write uh, stories, how they could articulate whatever they feel like. So if they want to write a memoir, they can. If they want to write a short story about anything, they can. And it's been really going well. And uh, we've performed in festivals uh, with the writers we had. And what really surprised me about the group of, of students we had was that each and every one of them had their own stories that wasn't necessarily about them as refugees, but stories, you know, stories that came purely through their imagination. And yet, and this, to me, proves that, you know, when you give a place to newcomers, to refugees, and say, just do whatever you want, 
and and I think that's ultimately what it is. Do whatever you want, and just let them dictate and decide, you know, and own their voice. I just lost this idea that somebody can be a voice for others, while we have the means and the abilities to share skills, so that everybody can be their own voice. And I just I set up a literary festival. It's called the Asmara Addis Literary Festival in Exile, which debuted this year in collaboration with Bozar here in Brussels. Again, this is a, a small festival celebrating Pan-African literature, but also it, it's a festival with a, a feminist principle at its heart. It, I just wanted to celebrate writing that means a lot to me, writers I like, writers I admire, writers who push boundaries. Up next, we have a new feature. What books have inspired our authors? Was the book part of the Heinemann African Writer Series, or was it from other books? Each month, we'll ask an author to give their favorite book and why. Helan Habila, a Nigerian writer, is the author of Travelers, a novel coming out in June. He tells us about his favorite book. Well, my favorite book in the Heinemann African Writer Series is Dambuzo Marachera's The House of Hunger. This was published in 1970s, I think, I think 1976. It was his first book, and it's it's a novel, but it's it's a novella with, with some short stories. I like it especially because of the structure and the style. It's it's quite different from whatever was published before it. You used to have the Chinua Achebes and you know the Aikwe Amars, and stylistically they are more traditional in their approach to storytelling, you know, to plotting and other things. But Dambuzo Maracheras was different. It's very modernist. He even said that he was inspired by, you know, by European modernists and American beat writers. But it's a subject matter that's so gritty, language that's so so different from anything I had read before then. So I think that's what caught my attention, the fearlessness, the experimentalism with language and the grittiness of the story. That's just amazing. I had never seen anything like it in an African writer. So that inspired me to... That it's okay to be different stylistically, you know, to, to approach writing with more fearlessness and to, to experiment. That's all the time we have today. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Suleyman Manadonia and his novel, Silence is My Mother Tongue, as well as the book that influenced Helon Habila, Nigerian novelist. We'll hear about his upcoming book, Travelers, in our June issue. Thanks for listening to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagneto. If you like this, sign up for our podcast and listen to our archives of African novelists. Until next time.